Why does God call us to the impossible? Gets annoying, downright discouraging. And I think it's why so often we don't even want to approach sacred scripture. We get a certain level of nervousness when it comes time for the readings at church or the homily because we think, okay, time to feel guilty again. Time to feel like I just don't measure up. Time to feel like God is calling me to these great things and puny little me, I'm not capable of it. And with regards to that, today's gospel takes the cake. God is calling us to the impossible in our own nature, right? Of my own strength, I can't do this. Jesus, I'm sorry. When you tell me to love my enemies, to do good to those who hate me, to bless those who curse me and pray for those who mistreat me, God, I just don't think I can do that. Of course, some of us, we say like, yeah, sure, I can, because I don't have any enemies. And there, I think we might be kidding ourselves. Very often, we play this game with our own selves of hiding from our own hearts and their hurts that they have. We pretend nobody's ever hurt me. I've got nothing to complain about. My life's been good. But then if we look deeply, we realize, actually, yeah, I, I have been hurt before. Yeah, there, there, there are people that I don't want to be in their presence. There are people that the thought of them kind of, uh, it, it does something to me. And I realize, even if I wouldn't call that person my enemy, my heart seems to think that they are. And it's those that God calls us to love. And of our own strength, we're not capable of it. God calls us to something that is impossible. So what do we do? Well, thanks be to God that his specialty is impossible cases. Right? This is the God who created all that is out of absolutely nothing. And so he can do something spectacular in you. And that's his end game. His end game is not just a list of rules. We can be uh, tempted to treat this beautiful sermon of Jesus as if it's just a checklist of these are the things that if you're going to be my disciple, you have to do. Instead of these are actions that demonstrate what the heart of a disciple looks like. He doesn't want us to do stuff. He wants us to become someone new in him. It's not just about checking off boxes. It's about an interior transformation that he wants to make in each of us. We read in the psalm, the Lord is kind and merciful. And if he just called us to do these things but didn't give us the strength by which to do them, that would be a bold-faced lie. Because nobody kind and merciful tells you, hey, do the impossible and I'm not going to help you with it. No, the Lord is indeed kind and merciful, and he shows us that by calling us to not only do kind and merciful things, but by his grace to become kind and merciful people. He doesn't just call us to impossible tasks. He does the impossible work within us of changing us from being just our own sinful fallen selves into being redeemed in him, strengthened in in and made capable of doing that which he has called us to do. And so we can read through this psalm. We can read through the part where it says, Merciful and gracious is the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in kindness. And we can insert our name where it says Lord. Whoo! And if that doesn't inspire guilt in us, I don't know what does. At least for me. Because I think, yeah, in front of 
certain people or in certain situations, I am kind and merciful. Oh yeah, I am patient, I am polite. Put me down in front of my family after I've been like super tired with all sorts of work. And, and I'm just there with the people that I know have no choice but to be with me at that moment. Kind and merciful is not what I always am. Slow to anger, abounding in kindness, not exactly descriptors of me when I'm just lounging comfortable. Not according to our sins does he deal with us, nor does he requite us according to our crimes. That's how he deals with us. Is that how I deal with the people in my life? Or do I kind of dangle their sins and their misdeeds over their head all the time? Remember when years ago you did this. Or, what are you telling me this for right now? I remember you back in high school. I remember when you did this and that and this other thing. Do I try to use other people's sins as leverage against them? Or do I have that kind and merciful disposition of the Lord that allows forgiveness and the forgetting of sin? Now here, that guilt might be rising within us again, like, oh, Father said he wasn't going to guilt trip me, but he just did. But this isn't meant to be something to have guilt rise in your hearts, but rather hope. To be able to hope for an interior transformation to where God can make each of us into someone for whom kind and merciful action comes second nature because he has transformed us in our interior. And what does that look like? Well, St. Paul tells us in a beautiful way. In the 15th chapter of the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians, right? So this is two chapters after his beautiful reflection on love, where he says love is patient, love is kind, love is all those other great things you remember from your wedding day. That was probably your reading. We might have looked at that and said, oh, that's nice wishful thinking. I wish I loved that way. That's not me, though. Well, God wants that to be you. He wants that to not just be a descriptor of God's love for us, but your love for each other, your love for God, your love for others. And how does he make that happen? Well, St. Paul tells us two chapters later in the 15th chapter, he says, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. So we see a transformation from the first Adam to the last Adam. From the old Adam to the new Adam. Who is the old Adam? Well, the old Adam is from Adam and Eve. You all know the story. But you also have seen him in the mirror. Right? Old Adam is fallen human nature. Old Adam is our proclivity to sin, our selfishness. The fact that ah, even though we have a desire to be better, very often we just settle for the path of least resistance in our soul, which is, eh, I'm just going to kind of do what's comfortable for me, and I'm not going to go out of my way. And, you know, I'm not a saint. I'm not Mother Teresa, for goodness sake. So, yeah, I might cut some corners. I might say some things I regret. But what can I do? That's the old Adam. And that's the, the, the fallen human nature that very often we let direct all of our actions. And so Christianity feels like an uphill battle. We don't even approach the scriptures because we think, uh, it's going to convict me and make me feel bad, and so I'm just not going to read them. But God wants not just that old Adam that is a living person, right? God's given us life. No, he wants us to receive his life-giving spirit and become the new Adam who is Jesus Christ. Right? Because the old Adam, he reached for that apple. Why? Because he wanted to become godlike. The new Adam wants us to become one with God. 
and to actually become like him as his sons and daughters. Not to grasp after just having power and comfort and complete control, but rather to be able to truly enter into a union with God and be one with him, rather than just trying to be cheap imitations of him. And that's what we get in Jesus Christ. We get an opportunity to be renewed in our very humanity. To become those who can be kind and merciful as a second nature. To become those for whom loving one's enemies is, that's just what we do. We're Christians, right? Because Luke has taken us down this journey that we followed over the past few weeks. Where in Luke chapter 4, a few weeks ago, we read about Jesus saying, all of the Old Testament prophecies, they're fulfilled in me. And then Luke chapter 5, the next week. That scene with Peter in the boat, we were able to say, what's our response? When we see that Jesus is the Messiah, what do we do? Do we trust him? Do we put out our nets into the deep? And if we do, and we do follow him, then he says, okay, you're going to be my disciples. And so last week he said, blessed are my disciples. Blessed are those who trust in God rather than trusting in themselves. Blessed are those who want to be one with God rather than becoming puny little gods of their own little worlds. And then today he spells out what discipleship looks like. And it's radical. It's loving your enemies. It is turning the other cheek. It is uh, judging not lest you be judged. It is not condemning others. It is a tall order, but it's made possible by the fact that God turns us into other Christs in our baptism. In our baptism, a huge transformation occurs. Today, Annabelle here, she is going to be able to have the greatest experience of her entire life. And she's not even going to have a recollection of it. She is going to be changed from being old Adam to being new Adam. From being just a fallen human nature, created in God's image, still beloved to God, but not living with the life of grace. To, from this day forward, being a member of the very body of Christ capable of great things because she has been made great by the grace of the Lord. And that's all of us. We're capable of this, but only if we nourish that oneness with the Lord, that communion with him. That's the only way that we're going to be able to read the scriptures without cringing. That we're going to be able to actually say, you know what, I am going to love heroically. Because by God's grace, I am capable of it. Because every morning I wake up and I choose which Adam I'm going to be. I'm not going to be the old one. I'm going to be the new one. I'm not going to just uh, be able to fall all the time just from the weight of my fallen human nature. No, no, no. Today I'm going to choose to be redeemed by the grace of Christ. And I'm going to try to love in a heroic manner. And so every morning we nourish that communion with the Lord that makes holiness possible through our prayer. In the morning, having a daily offering and saying, this day, Lord, is for you. Going through your schedule with him and saying, yeah, okay, I want you to be here with me at this, at this, at this other thing. And then in the evening, being able to review the day and say, okay, Lord, where where did I need you most and not call upon you? And then building up to having this stable conversation with the Lord to where in those difficult moments when life is requiring you to love in a heroic manner and you don't feel up to the task, you can say, Lord Jesus, you are the new Adam, and I need your life-giving spirit to fill me right now. I need to be able to love right now, because, boy, is it difficult. And then that relationship is nourished, and we are interiorly transformed. But, of course, our personal lives of prayer, they're important, 
but they lead to when we gather together as a body. And when we're able to celebrate the sacraments together. Because those are those guaranteed points of contact with Christ Jesus who makes us interiorly transformed. And that happens in that room there. In that confessional, God has this incredible transformation where we as the old Adam come in and say, this is the rotten fruit that I reached for, right? These are all of the things that are just imprisoning me in shame and I feel guilty about. And the new Adam is able to say to us, you are still mine. You are still beloved and you are interiorly transformed. And now go bear fruit that will last. There we're transformed and then here at this altar, Oh, wonder of wonders, we receive the new Adam so that we can become more than you, Adam. We receive Jesus Christ and it makes us little by little more like Jesus Christ in our very nature. Even if we can't receive, we get to adore the Lord. And even through that contact, become interiorly transformed. When we receive the blessing at the end of Mass, it's God saying, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, you are blessed and you are prepared to love heroically when you exit these doors. So we have our daily prayer. We have our contact with the sacraments. But we also have, in two weeks, what season? Lent. And I mention it now so that we can really pray for these next two weeks. How am I going to live my Lent in a way that's more than just giving up this or taking on this extra practice? That's all good, but it serves one purpose and one purpose only. And that is, does it make you more in communion with God? Does it make you more like God? He who is kind and merciful, is this action making you more kind and merciful? He who loves us, who have made ourselves his enemies with every sin. He who loves us that way, does this action help me to love that way? Is this making me more like the God who invites me into communion with himself? Or is this just me trying to be the puny little God of my little world in complete control? Those are the questions we can ask as we reflect over these next two weeks. How can God transform me? Be more like himself during this upcoming season of Lent. So that come Easter time, I can be not the old Adam, but the new one. One that is capable of that love that we read about in Corinthians. Of that love that is strong enough to love one's neighbors. Of that love that God bears for us and makes makes us capable of showing toward one another as well.